Father, we uh, continue in worship, and we do thank you for saving us. Thank you so much, Lord, for your incredible grace and the way we can celebrate and sing to you this morning, the way we can command our souls to bless you, Lord, even when our flesh refuses, our hearts, sanctified, equipped, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, can overcome evil with good and tell ourselves to bless you, that we bless you this morning, Lord, and we pray that uh, your word would bless us and that we would bless one another. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. My name is Pastor Jeremy. Welcome here. We're so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Um, this morning, we're looking at Mark chapter 13, and in it, the disciples are rather impressed. There's something that catches their attention, uh, catches their eye, and sort of blows them away. And I know from my own experience, there are different things that impress me. Is anyone out here impressed by something or someone? Yes, we're all awake. Okay, in our church, if you're new, it's okay to talk out loud in the right moments. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. And just get it out of your system early if you need to, if you're an audible processor. Let's do that right away. And let me ask you a question. There's really no wrong answer. Um, you can shout it out or you can stand up or you can wave your hand at me. We'll just kind of see how it goes. But I'm interested to see what impresses you. I've got my pen. Are you ready? Go. What impresses you? What was it? Your children, okay? They impress you in a good way or a bad way? <laughs> Just kidding. Great way, okay, good. Good answer. Yes, what was it? Granddaughter, okay. Notice he said granddaughter did not include grandson. I don't know what's going on. Just kidding. Only one, all right, good. Granddaughter, kids, what else? Grand Canyon, okay, that is definitely impressive for sure. Grand Canyon, Grand Kid, Sunset, it's very nice. All right, we have, go ahead. What was it? Flowers, okay. We have a very nature-oriented and family-oriented crew here this morning. Robin. Olympic athletes, there we go. What else? Answered prayer, very good. I've got to write slow, hold on a second here. Answered prayer. I heard someone say kindness. That's a great, how we treat one another. What else? Friendship, that's definitely impressive. What else? Whoa. <laughs> I heard first responders. What was it over here? Sorry? A person with patience. Yes, who can find? Right? Well, God's goodness. You guys are spiritual. I was going to say like a really cool car. You know, I mean, there's stuff out there. I got to be honest. The Northwood Auto Show's coming. My kids and I might go. It's been a while since it was up and running. And man, that thing is slick. I mean, there is some impressive engineering. I know there's some engineers out here. I know very little about engineering, but I was having a conversation with one one day, and he's talking about how close somebody was following him. And the way the engineer, in his greatly frustrated tone, expressed it was like, they have no idea about the coefficient of friction. I was like, you're right. 
What's wrong with them? You know? I mean, engineering, it's cool, right? It's amazing some of the stuff we can do. I mean, there's everyday sedans, and then there's stuff that's like so aerodynamic that uh, it, it just blows the mind how fast these things can go. I remember as a little kid, you know, the specifications and speeds and records. And now my children, my young boys are telling me about the new, you know, fastest this and fastest that. And I'm like, what? They can do that? Are you serious? That's not even real. And so many other things are like that too. I walk by somebody else's lawn. I'm like, how in the world did you do that? That is so impressive, you know? And then there's art and music and other masterpieces that are way way beyond me and there are things that we see as human beings that naturally impress us and rightly so i mean our god is a creator we are made in his image and we are therefore creative some of us more creative than others but all of us were created by a creator who is by his very nature creative and so there are things that we notice that impress us Disciples are walking along with Jesus and something impresses them. It happens to be the temple. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on here with the temple. And I could have done a whole sermon on this today. If you need more information, go to rosepublishing.com. Download their temple or tabernacle stuff. And you'll see this incredible history. How the people of Israel, the Jewish people, meet with God. You know, first in a very limited way. And then a more corporate sense. And it goes from tabernacle to David's temple, to Solomon's temple, to eventually the rebuilt temple under the return, and then to Herod's temple, which isn't even complete yet at this time. These people are seeing it. There's gargantuan stones. I mean, like so big, I can't even describe it. It's a huge, huge edifice, an incredibly beautiful building. And they walk by it and they're like, whoa, Lord, can you believe this? This is outstanding. Now, how many of you are watching The Chosen? Anybody watching The Chosen? Super fun. Love it to death. Highly recommend it. One of the artistic license that the authors take with this is they make one of the disciples, Nathaniel, an architect. You know, And it's just kind of fun to see how that plays out. But who knows what caught their attention here? We can speculate all day long, but we don't really know. Maybe one of them was an architect, and he actually could appreciate all that goes into the incredible engineering and structure and form and beauty and art that made this what it was and all the effort and just investment that it took to design something like this. Who knows? But either way, they are uber impressed and they are calling it out to Jesus. Like, Jesus, look at this. And Jesus is like, meh, meh. And it's not because Jesus doesn't understand how to make things. Even in his earthly life, he's a carpenter, right? He wouldn't be impressed by cool stuff. But there is something that impresses him more. What is it that impresses Jesus? What impresses Jesus? Today we're going to look at this end times teaching and I just love saying that. Everybody was like, ooh, spooky, right? I mean, let me just give you a little heads up. If you see something that's like flashing red lights and prophet up on a podium and it looks like it could come out of the red light district, they just moved it over and called it end time stuff, watch out. 
This is not what this is this morning. Instead, what I hope this is, is Jesus' teaching on end times. That's why the sermon title is End Times, a manifesto. But it's not just some you know, cult leader or crazy prophet, but it is Jesus himself and what matters to him, what impresses him, what is most important, what is it we are to look for, when will these things happen? What does Jesus say? Mark chapter 13, we're going to see three things. I'll point them out slowly as we go. But if you're taking notes, you'll just write one, two, three. And we will look at what matters most. There's that which impresses us and that which impresses Jesus. What matters most? Jesus is manifesto on end times. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 Beginning in verse 1, it says this. And Jesus, that's he, he, Jesus, came out of the temple. And one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. And Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. But these are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings. For my sake, to bear witness before them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what in the world is going on here? Some crazy stuff, right? I mean, it's end times, it's eschatology, it's future things. Esca means last, tology, study of. You've heard of geology or biology. They're just Greek words. They throw on the front of ology to mean a study of something. So esca is last, the study of end things. That's what I'm referring to when I say that. And what happens is we as people, as I've just hinted at, we tend to like do exactly what the disciples are doing. As soon as someone says end times, we're like, ooh, wow. Spooky. When? Where? What's the sign? Tell us. When will these things be? But if you remember earlier, even Jesus himself said, it's not for me to know. Only my father is to worry about that stuff. What you're supposed to do instead is be faithful here and now. You see, what the disciples of Jesus is doing is he's redirecting their attention Number one is we are to pursue discernment, not distractions. Discernment, not distractions. Discernment, not distractions. Here's the thing. Let me show you verse 5 
again. Mr. Fanning, verse 5. It says to them, and Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Pay attention to that. See. The word see here, blepo, is a big deal. It occurs three different times in Greek. You'll see it twice in English, and I'll show you the third one here in a second. But what's happening is Jesus is calling them to discern. And the reason is, is because as soon as you start looking for signs, you've opened yourself to deception. If you are searching for a sign, you have opened yourself for deception. If you're listening to this speculative, futuristic stuff on TV or podcasts or radios, and they're saying, ooh, this leader's that, or this is that, or this is that, then you're on the wrong track. What the Bible actually does is, yes, it, it gives you some signposts along the way. But what it doesn't tell you is how much time or distance is in between those posts. Some people in theology circles call it telescoping. In other words, it's like if you're standing on top of a mountain and you see all these little peaks, but you have no idea how much distance is in between each one. You only see the little points. And all of a sudden, we as human beings, we might think we, we see one in scripture and we see something in real life and we're like, ooh, this is that and it must be now. Think about Y2K or the founding, the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. And there's all these prophets out there. There was even prophecies about the previous administration. Like on the front page, people are like, this is it. And they're all wrong. They're just plain wrong. And Jesus is saying, see that no one leads you astray. There's going to be a lot of people coming out, claiming this and claiming that and showing signs. But if you're looking for the signs, that means you've opened yourself to deception because you're looking for it and someone's going to come along and provide it for you. And you'll say, oh, there it is. What the Bible calls us to (coughs) is not to look for signs, but to see. Let me show you a couple of those words real quick. Verse 2 Jesus asked the question, do you see? Do you see? Blepo. Verse 5, Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. Verse 9 actually starts with be on your guard. But do you know what that word is in Greek? To see. Blepo. Exactly right. Over and over again through this passage, Jesus is emphasizing see Look, pay attention, discern, don't speculate, discern, don't speculate, don't get caught up in distractions, discern, be watchful. This is so important in our divided, crazy culture today when everyone is listening to so many different sources. I read an article in Christianity Today where uh, basically the guy was saying, because the pastors and theologians and people are asking, what is this? How is this going to play out? What's happening with the church? This giant sifting, this giant filtering, this giant purification, this huge thing called COVID that's impacting our whole world. What's going to happen? And someone actually suggested that we're on the brink of another schism. You know, you had the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic, and then you had Protestant and Catholic, and you had Evangelicals and Protestant, and you've had all these splits for various reasons, fundamental and liberal, 
throughout church history. And people are beginning to speculate. Why? Because what happens now is you come to one hour of church a week and you listen to news 24 hours a day. You get way more secular input than you do spiritual. From whatever source it is, whether it's CNN or Fox or whatever podcast or expert, and you listen to your politicians more than your pastors. And that influence is so strong. And it's a heated political time. And so too in Jesus' day. It's no different. That's why it's like, look, what is happening to families? Families are torn apart. Friendships are ending. Relationships that have been together for years and years are all of a sudden done because you voted differently. And Jesus says here, you know, brother and sister are going to betray each other. Mother, father, son, daughter. And then what happens is some guy who wants to write a book or make a lot of money or pay for his retirement adds up the number of earthquakes and demonstrates how there's more now than back then and says, wow, look, that's this. And people go, woohoo. But Jesus said, don't look for that. That's normal. That's natural. There's going to be wars and rumors of war and famine and pestilence. That's the natural order of the way things go now. That is what you should expect. That's not a surprise. It may not even be a sign. That just is. Discern. Discern. Be a sift, not a sponge. May I plead with you. Please be a sift, not a sponge. Process the information that's coming your way. Run it through a biblical worldview. Ask questions. Think about it theologically. Listen to other Christian leaders and say, is this person just manipulating my emotions for the sake of getting my vote or moving me emotionally in the way they want me to go? Or is this biblically true? Process it. Sift it. Be a sift, not a sponge. Number one, discernment not distraction. If you're living in the end times, people are going to try to deceive you and you need to be ready to discern. If you're looking for signs or looking for this, you're probably going to miss it. The focus is not on the sign. Number one, discernment, not distractions. Number two, and here's what it should be on, a person, not a place. A person not a place. If you don't hear anything else this sermon, hear this. It's a person, not a place. Remember the context. Context is key when understanding the Bible. So many people grab a verse, rip it out, make it mean whatever they want. This is different. We want to hear what the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Word of God has to say. So we can say it with confidence, thus saith the Lord. Not thus saith Jeremy, not thus saith Midland Free, not thus saith our politician, our denomination, or anyone else. Thus saith the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Hear what he has to say. First, he's in the temple. Remember Mark chapter 11, several chapters ago, Jesus goes to the temple. He's not very happy because of what he sees and what does he do? This is another time you can talk. He clears it. He cleans it out. It's time to get rid of this stuff. Yuck. He gets out the money changers, those who are um, profiting from what should be prayer. And he gets rid of them. Then he doesn't stop there. But after he's cleaned it out, 
Now he's going to go and teach in it. And that's where this whole summer's sermon series has come from. Is Jesus' teaching in the temple. The tricks and traps that his enemies tried to play on him. Like asking him about taxes to Caesar. And marriage and the resurrection. And if they could trap him between what? Two political parties. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they ask him a no-win question. (laughs) I think today it might have been COVID. But for Jesus it was marriage. And they say, hey, what about the resurrection? Guy has seven wives. Oh, come on, really? So tricks and traps. And then finally, after all that rigmarole, there's a real question from a scribe who's actually asking Jesus a question about the greatest commandment. Jesus said, man, you are not far. You are on the right track. I can tell by your heart. Your question is different than the rest. You're actually seeking an answer. You are close. To the kingdom of God. And then Jesus. After all the questions put on him. By his interlocutors. He asked them a question. Okay. Those are your questions. Now hear one from him. Who is David's Messiah? Who is David's Lord? And nobody has an answer. (laughs) But David's Lord is standing right in front of him. There in the temple, Jesus is explaining to them that the Messiah has come. And here's the thing. They are rejecting it. They are rejecting the Messiah. And so what Jesus does is he rejects that system. He rejects the temple. They've attributed to the Holy Spirit the work of Satan. And therefore, Jesus is going to dust off his feet and walk out. And leave it to judgment. And so in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says that Jesus came out of the temple. He's done with it. Jesus has left the building. You got that right? Elvis has left the building. Jesus has left the building. Jesus is done with it. This whole section has been on the temple, clearing and teaching and interacting and offering them the Messiah. They reject it. He's done. The temple is no more. The focus of God in humanity is no longer a place. It is a person. Jesus tabernacled among them. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not a place. It's a person. And so a certain people group can no longer claim the corner on it. And that's why the gospel must go first to all the nations. Because originally it wasn't. It was stuck in this little group. And if you wanted to go to the good news of God, you as a Gentile, as a nation, had to stay in the outer courts. But now that veil has been ripped asunder and the gospel is moving from one group to all the world the ends of the earth and as a result the first and most important priority is this to focus on a person and not a place number one you need to discern discern and number two you need to focus and that focus needs to be on a person and not a place. These disciples, man, they're like, wow, what a place. This is pretty cool. 
I mean, you've probably been somewhere like that. You've gone to a lake house or a capital or a building or something. You're like, wow, look at this. And Jesus is like, meh. And that's how we should be too. It's a person and not a place. I always find it funny. Here's a little side note just for fun. I always find it funny when church, you know, little churches name themselves like such and such temple or tabernacle such and such. I don't want to put a denomination or name in there because I'll give it away. But it just makes me chuckle because Jesus has said that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's no longer a building. That's done. It's a body, a person, not a place. So here's this person, not a place. And I got to show you how great he is because I can't help but resist doing that. And one of the things that is jumping out at me now because of the context and because of the messianic nature of this section is that in verse 3, it says this person now, this person sat. This person sat. Now, believe it or not, those three letters are a big biblical theme. Who in the Old Testament is seated on the throne? Who in Revelation is described as the Lamb of God? And where is he seated on the throne? What happens in Hebrews when it says Jesus completed the great work of the sacrificial high priest? He sat down. Because it was finished. And here is Jesus, not coincidentally, but in correspondence with the prophecy of Ezekiel that talks about the end times. Sitting down in the exact spot where Ezekiel said he would. And he sat on the Mount of Olives. And remember the question that David and Jesus asked. When the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will put all your enemies under your feet. This mountain, the Mount of Olives, is east of Jerusalem and it overlooks the city. It looks down on the Temple Mount and the old center. But now here's the new exalted Messiah reigning above it all and seated on his throne. And there he is. There's your center. There's your reality. There's the new focus. It's not the old. It's the new. The old center was a place. The new center is a person. And I have to ask you this morning, where is your center? Where is the center of your life? What is first and foremost of importance to you? Where do you get your joy? Where do you get your satisfaction? Where do you find your fulfillment? What gives you hope? What are you all about? What makes you most excited? Is it your grandkids? Is it the Grand Canyon? Is it flowers or athletes? Cars? A hole in one, a perfect lawn? What is your center? Now, admittedly, obviously, there's nothing wrong or sinful or inherently bad. These are good things. But it's so easy for us as fallen human beings to let the good thing become the best thing. 
to let good things replace, replace the greatest thing. And we need to make sure that we never mistaked the gift for the giver. What is truly impressive? It is a person, not a place. Number one, discern. Number two, a person. And number three, as we get ready to conclude, just a little bit more. It is faith, not fear. Faith, not fear. Verse 11 and following say this when talking about the end times says, and Jesus saying to his disciples, he says, and when they bring you to a trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand for what you're to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And father, his child and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Why? Because Jesus wins. If you remember the beginning of this book, Jesus goes out into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit, the same one he's talking about here, and is tempted by the devil. But he overcomes, and he comes back. And what does that mean? That Jesus wins. And when Jesus talks, the first thing he says is, look, if someone goes into someone else's house and wants to steal their stuff, they must first bind the strong man. And if they're going to do that, they have to be stronger than that guy. And then he says, someone who is stronger is here. The strong man has come. Jesus has bound the enemy. He is defeated and he is seated on his throne. Now, right now, it's a little bit of a both and. He's reigning in heaven, but not yet in earth. And he will return. But that is our great hope. And that is this thing we, we just cannot get away from in all the eschatology no matter how you line it up if you're pre-mill post-mill pre-trib mid-trib ah-mill post-mill farmer and adele a-i-o-u i don't know whatever you are you have to say that jesus is coming back and if you don't you're not a christian that is orthodox christianity it is absolutely essential if you say he's not coming back you're calling him a liar he said he'd come back in the same way he'd left it is essential to believe that jesus is coming back this is our great hope and if you really want to know what impresses him it's called faith don't believe me believe him matthew 8 10 Talking about a centurion. It says this. When Jesus heard this. He marveled. Jesus. Who sat on the throne of heaven itself. Who has host of angels. Who watched creation happen. Who blew and sang the planets into space. Jesus is impressed by this. It's not a Ferrari. It's not a perfect score. It's not someone who does something effortlessly and makes it look easy. It's faith. Jesus marveled and said, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. That's a big deal. Because without faith... 
Hebrews tells us it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Look, the strong man has come. The strong man will come again. He's coming back. He said he would. And you can believe it. And you better be sure. When he does, he's bringing both his reward and his recompense with him. Now, some people will say, Pastor Jeremy, you left out verse 10. I did. (laughs) Sometimes I do things like that on purpose. Because verse 10 is like a whole sermon in and of itself about the gospel to the ends of the nation. Go back and rewatch this sermon. See what I said. There's a lot there. But essentially, what I believe is this. When you examine scripture, what you see is the imminence of Christ's glorious return is such that he could come back right now. Like, drop the mic. I'm done right now in this moment 32.39 seconds into the sermon. Boom. He can come back now. He's not waiting on us. He's not waiting on anything else. He's not delayed. He can come back now. And if we as Christians set up some sort of silly paradigm that says he can't, then we're wrong. Some people kind of do. With this gospel to the ends of the earth thing. Okay, I'm starting to get into it now, but here it is. (laughs) Ethne means nations. Some people think that that means every single possible breed of whoever. And he can't until he does. I disagree. And it's not just me. I can send you a note that's like this long from Greek commentaries and everywhere else. Doesn't mean everyone agrees. It just means there's a real position with real people who are really smart. Who think this way as well. And that is this. Jesus can come back right now. There is nothing stopping him. And that's good news. For those who believe in him. And that's a serious warning. For those who do not. If you do not believe. It is impossible to please him. You want to know what impresses Jesus? It's faith. It's faith. Everything we do in life, everything is based on faith. We can't live the Christian life without it. One of the most basic elements to everything we are and everything we believe is faith. Do not fear. Don't be anxious. The presence of the Holy Spirit means the defeat of the power of sin. Jesus wins. He came and he will come again. That's the manifesto for end times. Discern. See. See. Beware. Look. Sift. And focus on a person, not a place. And believe that he will come again and endure until he does. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you that he is coming again. We pray, Lord God, that he would do so quickly.
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.